0: My mom is Saudi-American, my dad is Saudi-South African, my dad grew up in Pakistan, my mom grew up in the States. Wow! And then there's also my cousins who are Pakistani-Persian. It's like a seventh
1: cultured kid.
0: Super, super, super. So also, the chameleon thing, I had to do that in my families as well.
1: Welcome to Own the Future a Podcast Made by and for Changemakers, where we gain the courage to own our story, the freedom to own our craft, and the power to own the future. I am your host, Lucas Scrubot, and today we have an amazing guest with us, Khaira Bundakji. Khaira, for those of you who don't know, is the founder of Al Zibda Podcast out of Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, one of the most popular podcasts. In the Khalij, she is also part of the founding circle of the Mustetfur Part of the founding circle of the podcast network, which is again one of the most successful podcasting platforms and networks in the Khalij, out of Jeddah. And we have a two-part episode for you this weekend next week where we hit things like the simplicity of a communication strategy the importance of being human when you're doing sales and marketing our third culturedness we're hitting depression and anxiety we're hitting choices we're hitting a little bit intro on the enneagram this is going to be a jam-packed two-part series so thank you for being here and let's get into the show
0: this was a long time coming.
1: <laughs> it was a long time coming. Not only uh, today, as we both had hiccups, but uh, we met probably how many months ago? Six, seven, eight months ago?
0: Uh, back when I was still considering taking a Zipta seriously.
1: And you decided not to? Yes. Why?
0: Oh, it was tiring. And also, um, I created uh, priorities. So I took a really hard look. Fun fact, did you know that priority was only ever used in a singular term until the 1950s? And mm, then people no. started having priorities.
1: So it used to be a singular and then they what's, made it plural.
0: What's your priority? Cool? I like that. Yeah,
1: I think we made a left turn in the <laughs> 1950s that we should correct. Because, <laughs> right, it's like the moment that you have priorities, you don't have a priority.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? It's like it, it defeats the purpose of the word.
0: But now it's so much easier to do anything that it's hard. Like, it's so easy to do things where it takes so, so much less time that you have to do more than one thing to justify the time on Earth. Right? Yeah. Because like, of technology. A, yeah, to send an email versus, like, <laughs> writing a letter and then waiting two months. Where do I get all my information from? There's this awesome book called Cubed, if I'm not mistaken. It's the history of the office. And how it evolved in time, like, depending on what technology was used to get work done. Yeah. I'm such a nerd about only specifically corporate history.
1: You're a corporate history nerd. Yeah. You study corporate (laughs) history.
0: (laughs) Not not to the extent that I can talk about it. I literally (laughs) just read that book, and I wish that there were other books like that.
1: I think think it's fascinating how I was doing some research this past week, and and I... I've been thinking I should revisit and actually look at the the actual quote and statistic, but it was something like in the last 10 years, technology has cut like poverty in half or has raised like the rate of, or the standard of poverty by two. So mm-hmm. like reducing it essentially,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which I think is fascinating just to your point of we're now able to do things faster and through technology, it's actually changing the dynamics of the globe as we know it. Isn't that cool? It's so cool.
0: I was just having this conversation earlier today with a bunch of friends that what we're looking at, the world that was formed in 1948 um, was set up, and and that's the world that we've been living in, but now everything's going to change.
1: So what was that world that was set up in 1948?
0: It was a world of, you know, the... America being the a really big power and, okay. you know, everybody having left whatever they had uh, colonized. So post-World War II, essentially. Mm, right. That was the time that... Um, no, actually, you know what? I won't say more than that because I'm not sure of any of the facts that just came to my head. So I'll leave that <laughs> to whatever professional comes in to talk about it. No, no, but
1: continue the thought. It's okay. We, You know, disclaimer... These facts may or may not be true. Um, (laughs) Fine. It's two truths and a lie. You have to figure out and fact check this episode yourself.
0: And share it with a friend. Maybe they can help you. And then comment and like and do all of that.
1: But it was what you're saying that the the superpower and world systems are are shifting.
0: Yeah, yeah. And the way it worked. Like that was also the time that um, like for an example... I'm trying to think of my sources as I say these things to make sure. Did I hear it from a fictional source or a factual source? But for example, like Uh Coca-Cola, getting Coca-Cola in the hands of soldiers as a way, uh, American soldiers as a way to remember back home. That was the beginning of how brands created those brand loyalties and like got under the skin of people. I heard this where, oh, actually I heard it on Business Wars, a podcast. Okay. Pepsi versus Coca-Cola. It was really and cool. And
1: Coca-Cola one.
0: Depends on how you look at it. Yeah. It's it's crazy.
1: <laughs> it is. I, my parents were Pepsi fans.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I th- I think Pepsi here in the Middle East tastes different than in the States.
0: Everything tastes different Everything here. Everything does. Because you have to like uh, put stuff so that it doesn't melt or doesn't.
1: Yeah, so I like Coke here. I don't like Pepsi here. It's yeah, me too, too sweet. Me too. But Coke in the States is too sweet.
0: Oh, I didn't I didn't notice that difference. But when I'm in the States, I drink root beer or Dr. Pepper. Ah. So anything that I can't get to, it's my point.
1: So, Jera, you have a personal branding company. Is that right?
0: Y- yes. It's a business. How's I that I wouldn't going? call it a company because the company. company has Is it a freelancer. More... I'm a solopreneur.
1: Solopreneur. Bootstrapper or solopreneur?
0: Oh, what's a bootstrapper? A so bootstrapper. In your eyes?
1: That's Seth Godin. Okay, talks about bootstrapping.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's the hybrid between, um, right? Because the, it's the difference between uh, a freelancer is always trading their time for money, mm-hmm. and it's it's kind of centric around that individual skill set. Mm-hmm. An entrepreneur builds something that doesn't revolve around him or her, mm-hmm. um, but builds like a, a company, a system. And a bootstrapper is kind of like the hybrid between the two Mm. where they are like the orchestrator and they kind of bolt and strap things together through different freelancers or entrepreneurs to create a service and a product that is above and beyond without kind of that entrepreneurial uh, learning curve – not learning curve, but – the what it takes as far as capital and everything to launch.
0: Yeah, so I have affiliates. So I guess kind of closer to bootstrapping or freelancing at the moment.
1: Are you trying to build it bigger than yourself?
0: I'm going with the flow. So I've been... Uh, my career journey is really short, actually, even though the first time that I ever set up a website or a blog or a Facebook page for someone was about 10 years ago. Really, I graduated in 2012 and then started work. That was like five, six years ago. So, um...
1: How we May we ask how old you are?
0: 31 years old.
1: Congratulations.
0: Yes, November was my birthday.
1: 31. Yeah. When in November?
0: November 30.
1: November 30th.
0: Yeah. Apparently, there's a special day, like, if your birthday and your years...
1: It's your golden birthday.
0: I didn't know last year. And you missed it. I had no idea that that that's what it was. It's fine.
1: You don't get a second chance on that one.
0: I'll have a makeup golden birthday. Nobody can tell me what I can't do. (laughs) ended on (laughs) 30. Yeah. 87 on 1980. I don't know. I don't know how it was. We'll
1: figure something out. No, I'm
0: not a math person. So, okay. The business. Why did I create the business? All of this, I had a really long journey of jumping back and forth between... I graduated in computer science, but all of my teachers were so frustrated with me because all of my research papers weren't about the technology. What were you
1: researching?
0: It was always about um, social networks or, uh, like, Human behavior using the internet, or something like that. It was very much fascinating. (laughs) It was very much in the middle, and my teachers were like, Okay, yes, that's great, but we need to know what program. And then I would just like really quickly focus on the tech part for like 20 seconds or an hour max. And then I would go back to researching all of that stuff. So when I graduated, I became an IT project manager um at a big conglomerate American company. And then I um got into a Saudi company as an IT project manager and nobody was there. Saudi companies it was a bit smaller. There was a smaller team and I was definitely by far the youngest person there and definitely by far the youngest the The person that knew most about social media. Yeah. So I started holding on to their social media accounts, which wasn't really strange for me because I would always help people make websites and I would help people, you yeah, know. Yeah,
1: kind of fall all in the same box.
0: Especially or at bucket. that time, yeah. Because it was really hard to get a hold of and, um, yeah. So um, I flipped to communications manager over there and I was already building... Mr. Podcasting Network, and I didn't realize I was building it. And even though we were a startup and stuff, I didn't realize that what I was doing was mass communications and yeah and marketing, which is what you and, studied.
1: I mean, you studied IT, right? Yes. And but you actually studied networks social yeah. networks and Isn't communication.
0: And I'm I'm just making all these connections very recently. So after all, wait of before this, you
1: go on. Did, do you have like a soapbox lecture from like your pseudo communications major on social networking? Like what was like a takeaway from that time that you're like, these are some of the things that I came away from that we're building blocks maybe from Stetford. Do you have those off the top of your head or not?
0: Definitely. No? Yeah. Actually, it's funny you say that. It I did um, a talk with Creative Mornings in Jeddah and it was called Warm Links on the Cold Internet, where... The The idea that podcasting was the next generation of, mm. of Internet because, you know, everybody is this uh, is in this on demand, um, you know, fast paced life, but they still want to get connected to people. Yeah. And studies show that uh, when you hear a story through audio, it affects you way more deeply than anything else. It's actually the one thing that can affect you just as much as an in-person conversation.
1: And it's so different than video, too. I think it impacts, I don't have like scientific studies and data to back this up. So this is my opinion.
0: (laughs) Another disclaimer.
1: Another disclaimer. um, Story. So I I listened, my wife and I, we watched this film and I, it's brilliant. It's called Guilty. Mm. And it's um, made in Denmark. It's all in Danish. I don't speak Danish. And the film all takes place inside one room with a 911 operator on the phone. Mm. So here it's it's we're watching a film it's in Danish and it's all over the phone. So I'm we're reading it with kind of the, the voice the voice and the emotions and it was just so fascinating how my mind built the story. It, I had the visuals, I could see the person on the other end of the line, I could see what was happening all from the 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 audio narrative. And it's as if I could have listened to that, you know, if it was in English, um, like a podcast without even that visual, because I don't remember the visuals from the film. It's all the visuals in my head. And I walked away from the movie, jaw dropped, not even remembering that I was reading the movie the whole time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, isn't that cool?
1: just the power of of voice. Yeah. In narrative. is a little different, but so mm-hmm. keep going. I'm sorry I interrupted you.
0: No, um that's exactly it. And I'm trying to the okay, I'm going to take a second just to remember. Where was the meeting point between Mustafir podcasting, IT project management and communications? It came to a point where I got uh, accepted to an MBA So then I stopped everything for a year and a half. Did you apply for the MBA? Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: What caused you to actually take that first step of applying?
0: It was there. It was uh, near town. My dad, who advised me on every step that I've taken since I graduated, um, mentioned it. So I took it seriously enough to apply to it. I didn't really think much of it. I was a terrible student in my undergrad. Super, super terrible. I graduated with a 2.5 GPA. The (laughs) proof. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Out of four. And the only reason why it was that high was because I was a good test taker. I couldn't care less. I you know, missed so many classes. I was not an academic. I was at the same time that I was uh, studying, I was also working on this event called Geek Fest. Mm. I don't know if you were here in Dubai long enough to...
1: What year was that?
0: It it started here in like 2005 or 2006. And it, it went strong for, I think, until 2012. And then it went quiet because... So GeekFest was an event that brought online people who created a community online together offline, mm. right? And especially in Saudi, especially in the Middle East, kind of unheard of. Like, why would you meet someone that you met online, right? But then by, <laughs> yeah, by yeah. the time 2013 hit, then that was like normal. normal. Now
1: it's really normal.
0: <laughs> yes. Where honestly, there are so many times, for example, Hibba Fisher um or uh and actually anybody that I listen to their podcast, when I meet them, I really genuinely forget that I've never met them before. Yeah, isn't that Crazy. strange? Yeah. Uh
1: oh, anyways, keep going.
0: So, um, I guess at the MBA it just opened my eyes that I was pushing myself so hard to create value where I wasn't relaying that value to anybody. Like I was pushing so hard to do these different things of IT project management. Let me help this company push forward, or podcasting. Let me help um, amplify amplify these voices. Or it was always to help other people, and I didn't realize that I wasn't creating any value. So finally, in September,
1: how, can I pause you there? Mm-hmm. How were you not by by helping people? How were you not creating value? I,
0: I can wasn't, you unpack that for me? It wasn't one. Like I I was creating value for someone else. I wasn't Mm -hmm. creating value. Like I was servicing in hopes of appeasing someone as opposed to creating value and handing them that value, you know? Mm -hmm. Where where I wouldn't take a look at a podcast and be like, okay, um, this is your target audience. This is your business model. These are things that I know how to say now. But before it would be like, oh, do you want to talk about uh, women and divorce in Saudi, great. So these are the microphones you need. These are, you know, it was very gotcha.
1: much just it was as a much tactical as kind of.
0: Yeah, that's a good way of saying it. Because I was operations manager in Mister Firfa. That's how I would think of how can I execute other people's ideas. Mm.
1: And you weren't packaging it in a way that you could show the value that you're actually bringing them to the table. Is that correct, or you just weren't actually bringing value to the table?
0: I I. I don't know. Maybe, maybe if I tell you what happened afterwards, you can tell me because that's a really good question. I'm still new at figuring this out. So in August, I was looking at uh, my um, online accounts. And at that point, it was only three more months and then I would be a grad. So I started that whole mentality of looking for a job. So I would clean up my social media account while I was cleaning it up. I made KheidaBee.com. And then I realized that uh, it came to me from a friend actually where I sat with them and I was working something out um, of an issue where they wanted to um, apply to a job and they didn't know what to do. And then I sat with them for an hour and I sorted out like the narrative of their career and because I interview on podcasts, right? Yeah. So who, who better do you want than someone that can, um, you know, slice up your life in very neat pieces and then serve yep. it to you, yep. right? Yeah. And then with the MBA, I started figuring out that there's something called the business model. And then I got into digital marketing because I took a marketing course that I fell in love with. And then all of that fell into the fact that, oh, I also know how to launch podcasts and I know how to create websites. Hello, I can now package a human being and put them out into the world, yeah, yeah, so that's how I started personal branding
1: it's it that takes a skill to be able to dissect and cut apart people's stories and narratives and pick out the because when people share their own narrative, I find there's a lot of noise right there's a lot of noise in it because they haven't they don't they're too close to themselves. So they're, so they're not able to see those things that really stand out. And it's difficult to be able to pull out someone's narrative that's actually like genuinely true to themselves that really resonates where they then look at it and be like, oh my goodness, that is me. Like the mirror has been foggy, but you rub the mirror off and now I can see that definition clearly and I can move forward confidently to tell that story and that narrative um, to their audience or to their clientele, whatever it might be, um, that takes a lot of uh, ability mm. and skill. I, I think I, I personally, gained that probably through uh, when I studied English literature. Where do you think you found that? How did you, how did you develop and hone that skill set?
0: I think it was from two places. My brother. Um, who's three years younger than me. He was diagnosed with autism when I was five. He was three. Mm. Sorry, I was six, he was three. And um, since then, for a really, really long time, I took it upon myself to dissect social convention and then explain it to him in a more discreet way because with autism, um, you know, sometimes he'd be confused as to why people were angry or what was expected Mm. of him. He couldn't pick up on... The things that we take for granted so dissecting things from the very beginning Hmm. fixing things because i was the oldest sibling so i always had like this mommy
1: simplifying
0: mentality Mm. and um and then to package it i guess i was uh pretty socially awkward which is why i love the internet and the communities on the internet Um, this is so cool as I'm talking, by the way, I'm figuring all of this out as I, as I speak it aloud.
1: I'll send you my invoice.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So then, um, I guess it was, I was really shy when I was 15. Mm. I was so shy before that point. Like I even had a hard time ordering water from a waiter. Like that's how shy I was. So I would read all of these books about how to socialize, how to make friends, how to da, da da da, and I guess like for the past 16 years, I've been just collecting all of this information so that when someone else who I see is super successful and I'm so interested in them, it doesn't really take much time to lay out what's what value they can create for the world and how to portray themselves. Mm. You know,
1: and you feel like it was from. Was it from your struggle of overcoming your own shyness? Is that what you're saying?
0: Yeah, a mix. Because when you...
1: Because it wasn't necessarily from the books that you read, but those probably helped and shaped.
0: Yeah, the less the small things. Like, for example, um, brag is a book that I think everybody should listen to if they don't know how to talk about themselves hmm. by Peggy Klaus. That's a book where it's literally... She doesn't say anything. She just says, when you network, make sure that you mention what you want to mention to the person. And
1: It's so simple.
0: It's so simple. I,
1: I, I think communication strategy and telling your narrative and telling your story, it really does boil down to being really simple and very elementary. And the more that you complicate it, the worse that it actually is for your end user, because then... They don't know which message, which trail to pick up on. There's so much noise, right? And it's really, how can you distill it down to the core essence of who you are as an individual or as a company or as a brand?
0: And also clarity for you, like realistically, if I am approaching someone who, uh, when I graduated from the MBA, I didn't really know which direction I wanted to go into because I have tech, I have marketing, Mm. um, I have project management. So I, I threw it at different places, but you got to use a different cover letter for each one. Yeah. So that a person that's looking at you as a potential marketer doesn't get weirded out as to why is this nerdy IT person talking to me? They obviously wouldn't be able to talk to anybody I need them to. Right. And
1: it, it makes sense in the, in the. I feel like so many people just stop being human the moment they try to sell or market. mm it's like if you walked into, if you were invited to a dinner party and you knew that it was, you know, really fancy, you're going to dress fancy, uh-huh. you're going to carry yourself differently, and you're going to communicate differently with a different manner of etiquette uh-huh. versus if a bunch of geeks invited you over to play. Video Dungeons games, and Dragons dungeon, Yeah, whatever. I, what's the, the one right now? It's not a... Fortnite. Fortnite. Yeah. You're going to dress differently. Yeah. You're going to talk differently. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a different management to bond and to fit in with that crowd. But for some reason, the moment that we're selling a product or communicating about what we do, the humanity of us kicks off and we move into like robot professional, like I am a company and here are the 20,000 things that i could do for you. Mm-hmm. It's like
0: And that's you you nailed it by the way. You said here are the 25 things i could do for you, but a human being as they walk through the world, they're not interested in what you can do. They're interested in mm, what they need, right? Exactly. So to be able to to notice someone walking by and who seems to i don't know want to go somewhere and you catch that that interest of, oh, I, you know, you see them looking around or something, you walk up to them and be like, hey, can I help you find where you're, where you need to go? Yeah. Done. Yeah. You know, that's so much more it's, helpful than having, you know, a little kiosk in the corner of, hey, we help you navigate things. Hey, look at me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's the, the fundamental, fundamental aspect of any business or service is it's solving someone's pain. Mm. And if you don't know what pain you're solving and you don't know what pain the market actually has, then it's like like you might as well be in the middle of the ocean blind without a paddle, yeah, like you're sunk. It's just over,
0: yeah, or too many paddles, which is just as bad,
1: right. and because the the other point about the you know, here's the twenty five options that you have now now the the market has you know choice over like what's the the right term option overload. Mm. When, you, when you have too many options you're it's too much stimulus your mind isn't able to make a decision so it goes into indecisive and it actually gets paralyzed so it doesn't make a decision because mm. there's too many options
0: mm-hmm. that overwhelm
1: yeah which is why which is why often on websites you see you know three different packages with three different anchored price points so and you lead them to This is the option that you should pick and you make it really obvious. And Mm -hmm. that's what diamond jewelers do, Mm -hmm. right? When they, when you go to pick out a ring or a diamond for a ring, they are totally stacking the deck. They're like, here's a bunch of junk diamonds that of course you're not going to want. Here is a bunch of really expensive diamonds that are way out of your range. And here's a diamond that is above the budget that you said that you have.
0: But isn't that it just as cool? Yeah. It is
1: like the right one. Yeah. They stack it. And they say, here's your high options. Here's your low options. But really, if here's I the were perfect
0: you, option. this is a
1: great deal. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. <laughs> it, oh, wow. Yeah. And then you go, honey, I made this really great choice. It's like, no, you didn't. You didn't make a choice.
0: You know what's so funny? In 11th grade, um, I did a research paper on advertising. Yeah. It blew my mind. Uh, I don't even know what... what thing it was for. I think it was just how to write papers in English class. But I wrote it on advertising and I was like, this is so evil. They're using psychology, which I was a fan of because Mm -hmm. my exposure to my brother and stuff. And um, I would think, oh my God, it's so evil. How can they do this in life? And I promised myself I'm not going to go into (laughs) business. I walked into university going into the art department. I was going to become a visual communications person and then an animator. Uh-huh. And then I jumped to computer science, never ever business. And then here I am nerding about marketing and how to sell to people. It's crazy.
1: That is so funny. Life's weird. That is so funny. <laughs> you, you were set up from the the psychology standpoint to do that. That choice thing I was it made me think that choice thing we do with our kids all the time of, you know, you want to give them choices. hmm well the choice But you
0: also want them to make the right choice. <laughs> yeah, well we give
1: them choices. It's do you want to brush your teeth before you put your pajamas on or after you put your pajamas on?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You you're making a choice. You have the choice, but sadly, both choices include putting your pajamas on and brushing your teeth. Mm. That's what you have to do in business. Mm. That's what you have to do in marketing and sales. You give your client a choice. But you don't give them infinite choices. You give them two choices and either choice or three choices. Either way, you win and they win.
0: Did you start off in marketing? Like, did you start life in marketing?
1: You know what? Yes, I... Did I start life in marketing? I think, you know, I... I, Like you, I moved a lot growing up. And uh, in Haiti, I... (sighs) This isn't going to answer your question precisely. Even but
0: better. I like those even more, to be honest. Sometimes Haiti, my questions I, are just prompts yeah, for cooler things. Yeah, I
1: lost my first tooth. Okay. And so uh, I was five, I think I turned six there in Haiti. So it was five or six, mm. lost my first tooth. And my parents were like, well, you know, if you put your tooth underneath the pillow, you'll get five goods. And five goods was like the equivalent of like a, a real or a dollar. Um But I was aware of the exchange rates. And so I was like, so I knew that five goods was worth about 75 cents. I'm like, well, if I put my tooth underneath the pillow in America, how much money will I get? (laughs) They're like, well, you'll get a dollar. I'm like, okay, I'll wait. (laughs) So it's like, I'm like, I'm five. Another story from that time is I, and I still today, I love to barter. It's like the joy of life. I could just barter with people about stuff all day for the sake of it so here in in haiti you to buy a hand of bananas you have to barter and it always starts at the same price and always ends at the same price but you always have to go through the same ritual with that vendor Mm -hmm. to get a hand of bananas so it's like that's all you do there but i would barter for fun so this one time i was bartering with this guy in the street over a um a cloth trash basket Mm -hmm. And I bartered him down so hard, to where it was like next to nothing. And he finally agreed on the price, and I was like, "Nah, I don't really want it." He got so mad, yelled at my parents. My parents then yelled at me and made me pay and buy the basket. So, I don't think I started necessarily in in marketing,
0: but you were but, very well aware of but I was monetary aware value of
1: what was going on, mm. and then. Um, I, in university, I was, I, it's like the the typical uh, story of university, right? I, in high school, you're, you're applying, I don't know, I don't know what I mean, it's just a list of things. I'm like, I enjoyed physics and so I'm like, ah, uh, civil engineering and not having a clue what civil engineering was. I don't think I even still today know what civil engineering is. And so I go into university in civil engineering I'm like, ah, I don't like this, but my whole life I enjoyed math. So I switched to math and then uh, maybe a year and a half into math, I had to take all these English literature courses. And so I took English, this one English lit course, um, and it changed my life. And, uh, I just fell in love with literature. So I ditched math and I did an English lit major with a minor in mathematics, which ironically enough, is the very skills that you need for marketing and sales.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Right? So it's Whoa. storytelling, understanding, yeah. like, psychology, understanding story, understanding narrative, and then it's the, the, the quantitative. So it's yeah. qual and quant, right? So it's the qualitative of your creative and then the quantitative, like, is is your marketing actually converting?
0: Yeah. So, so you were really ahead of the curve whenever when everybody started talking about digital marketing and CPCs and having to like figure out like actual data. Yes. You were way ahead of the curve because most marketers come from yes. a standpoint of like it looks pretty and you know. But let's is that make pretty it, actually yes.
1: converting into business results? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I I prefer the the creative side of it. I do understand that if the math isn't there, then it's like, well, was that actually successful? Interesting. Yeah.
0: So crazy. Yeah. Um,
1: I feel like I'm being interviewed right now on my own podcast.
0: I'm sorry, it's a habit. <laughs> I can't turn it off. No, it's great.
1: It makes it it makes it fun. Um, you said uh, that one point during your undergrad, or not at some point, you graduated mm. from your undergrad with a two point four GPA. But I, correct me if I'm wrong. 2.5. 2.5. Terribly sorry. But I'm going to throw you into the bus a little bit more. Yeah. At one point, I heard that you had a 1.0 GPA. 1.25 1.25 1. that's a big difference really big difference, really big difference. why what was
0: it a very big difference it was because um i went to a saudi university and one of the classes was english so that's so why i that had one. the 0. 0.25 there <laughs> and i think the one was just like you have to have like uh, some credit for something anyway point being so why was, was it what was happening
1: that, pointing for life
0: um, I was, uh, I talked about it on the anxiety episode of Azibda, where um, I was at a really weird crossroads. I was not ready for life when I graduated um, high school. I went into art straight away. I didn't really have any practical skills. And going into art and AUD was a really beautiful experience because finally I found people that like, Cared about animation, but they didn't, you know, um, it was just a really cool, in the Venn diagram of life, it was really nice that I got to find people that understood what I meant when I said I love a cartoon. Mm. Whereas my family thought that I was just not growing up. You are just childish. Yeah. These people got to see me for who I was, and it was a really beautiful experience. However, I was so enamored by all the people that I forgot to do any studying. And actually, I had a lower GPA. I, I'm shooting myself in the foot. Um, while I was in AUD, I flunked F-F-F-F-F-F both semesters. I had a perfectionism streak, so whenever I would... F-
1: An F would for sure signify the perfectionism streak.
0: <laughs> it, it would, though, <laughs> I because... Know it does. Because I was so especially art, right? I had to make it perfect. Yeah. It was my, it was like my masterpiece that I was so showing to the world to at seventeen. So I just never turned it in on time, and then you so know, was that
1: a, a zero GPA? Yeah, yep, a yep, full yep. year.
0: Yep, a semester, and then I took it off. I went and did an internship at Christie's, the auction house, and then I went back for really? a semester.
1: What was that now, like?
0: It was beautiful. I got to go to London and. I got to see so much. Um, uh, I was part of the inaugural auction that they had here in Dubai. Actually, really, yeah, yeah, it was really cool.
1: That is really cool. What was like the cool? I mean, I love art. Mm-hmm. I probably know nothing about it. Me neither. So what? But what was like the you know, for for us commoners out there in the inter interworld, what was like the coolest like art piece? You're like, wow, like. It was cool to be a part. Was there something from no, that time? There was or no, was
0: everything. At that time, the show that I was a part of doing, I still have the catalog somewhere. It was all this art from uh, Iranian, Pakistani, uh, Arab artists from the region. And it was my first time really looking at real pieces of, you know, undeniable work and mastery. Mm. Um, so that was really cool. I got to see a lot of that and, when I went to London, I got to um, go to the Islamic art section of Christie's from the backside. So I got to see all of these artifacts that were around from like 600 AD, which was really wow. cool. Yeah, yeah.
1: Cool. Wow. What What did you do in your internship? Were you... I
0: was just, I was an intern. And it was really cool. Actually, I really squandered this opportunity. Um, I was clueless, right? I didn't know why I was doing anything. Um...
1: Did you just kind of fall into the internship? Or, I mean, how do you go from like no, my, straight apps to like Christy, inter- your dad? Okay,
0: yeah, yeah. My dad. Uh, Praise God got, for
1: good parents, right?
0: God, I thank God. And unfortunately, at the time, I squandered it because I didn't recognize the value of what I was seeing. They were building up Christie's here, mm. so it was literally just two employees who came here, and they took that bootstrap approach, and they they set up a whole event that was like five star. You know, anywhere it could compete with anything. Um, I'm anxious anywhere. just
1: thinking of that.
0: It's It was beautiful and really beautifully executed. Wow. And there was so much help from London. But um, I squandered it by not really paying attention. You know, I I would daydream. I didn't know what I was doing in life. And I think that went into when I went to Saudi Arabia because I flunked so much. So, um, I went for a vacation and then my cousin was there and I just felt at home and I was away from my parents. So that was a really cool plus. So I lived with my grandma. I enrolled in university and then that's how I got the 1.25 GPA because I had English that's and Arabic a big, that's and a easy percentage <laughs> improvement from zero. Um, but then, you got to start somewhere. Yeah. 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 And then, um, I do it went down and up, and I went into a severe depression. It turned out that after all this um, i was I had a real low point where um I just didn't want to continue living mm-hmm. anymore to to the extent that I was so confused as to why you know nothing panned out for me. little did I recognize that, yeah, you were doing like better and you were focused a bit more and you were showing up to classes a bit more. <laughs> but at the time you don't see it because you're comparing it to the people who have 4.0 GPAs. Gosh, comparison
1: yeah. is the, the killer. And we tell our, and our kids this, like the fastest way to be a miserable, unhappy person is to compare. Mm.
0: And I don't think I knew why I was doing anything. Um, I think that was the biggest thing. I didn't have a sense of purpose, and my life hmm. was purpose. I I lived for... I've had many phases in my life. Of In that short span, up until 19, I went through lots of different identities. We also
1: moved a lot in that period, right? As I
0: think a- that helped me make new identities. So when I was... Uh, nine I moved to the States and then when I was 14 I moved to Dubai and then when I was 19 I moved to Saudi and all of those times I didn't have to keep in touch with anybody we didn't have Facebook back then yeah. we had AOL and even yeah. then I didn't make much of a effort to keep in keep in touch with anybody so it was really easy for me to um, not Prince have a core identity yeah yeah I think maybe that was it maybe that added to the confusion of who i was
1: do you feel like i i'm i'm i don't know how many times i've moved but similar moving every four years every 15 months in another house my dad was a pilot um is a pilot um but with that built in a lot of defense mechanisms yes like the moment i find out that i'm leaving somewhere it's like boom disconnect my emotions Mm -hmm. like I don't know you. I don't even care.
0: Dude.
1: But then at at the same time, I can go instantly deep, instantly fast. So, like, here, like, with my Arab friends, I'm like, you're my best friend. Like, I just, like, instantly, like, connect emotionally on that level. And I don't don't know if they (laughs) feel the same way. way. (laughs) I mean, I'm so blind to it. It doesn't even matter. It satisfies me. But... But um,
0: I didn't know this was a thing. Yeah, Did you t- know other families that moved around the law? Oh,
1: yeah. There's whole books written on it.
0: It's I called Third no-
1: Culture Kid. T.C.K. Uh, Pollard, I believe, mm-hmm. is the author. Um, but, yeah, it talks tons about it. And, and another then defense mechanism is what's called the chameleon. Mm-hmm. And so that's where you are able to, in every situation, you kind of sit back observe and figure out what's the social structure, what's happening, who's playing what role, and then you figure out how to adapt your personality to fit into that structure.
0: Have you considered life coaching? Um, My eyes are opening up to a lot of things I never considered before. Good. So much. Like, okay, copy-paste everything you said about, like, the ability, I guess, to be authentic and to be able to jump into a relationship super deeply, super right, fast. it's like easy. It is easy. Um, And I never noticed that. That's probably weird to other people. Mm -hmm. But there's also the other facet where um, my mom is Saudi-American. My dad is Mm Saudi-South African. My dad grew up in Pakistan. My mom grew up in the States. Wow. And then there's also my cousins who are... Pakistani, Persian. It's like a seventh
1: cultured kid.
0: Super, super, super. So also the chameleon thing, I had to do that in my families as well. Yeah. So when I sat with my Texas family, I wasn't going to talk much about the region, especially, you know, in the States. Texas. After 2001, it was um, awkward.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a a great way of putting it. And you learn, it's amazing how, you learn these things at a very, very young age. And it kind of
0: just embeds in you. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I never made that connection that that might have been because I moved around a lot. Oh, for sure. And then also, speaking of moving around a lot, how many times I moved through industries or through social circles.
1: Yeah. Dude. And so uh, Malcolm Gladwell talks about this, Um, not specifically as far as like being a third culture kid, um, but he talks about that there are different types of ties in relationships. There are, um, strong ties and there's loose ties. Um, and I mean, th- I believe this is in the book, um, tipping point. I could be wrong. So he talks about how most people have a few very strong ties. So my wife, for example, she grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania. And so she, she has a few very strong ties and in order for her to build relationship, it takes time. It takes history to develop that tie. But once that tie is strong, then it's like, it's strong. Your best friends for life. You're in that circle. Um, But she has a difficult time instantly feeling like someone's her best friend or instantly having that feeling that connection to someone. And she doesn't have a, she doesn't have like a ton of loose ties. She has a few strong ties. Excuse me. I, on the other hand, I don't really have very many strong ties, but I have hundreds of loose ties. So I have people that I probably haven't talked to in in years, but I would consider them a friend. And anytime I would see them or if I'm passing through a town, I'd be like, oh, for sure we have to stop and see Rick. Like, I haven't seen Rick in 10 years. He's my best friend. Isn't that so and I'd, funny? I'd and you're probably,
0: up. sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. I'm just so excited at this connection. And you probably, from the 100 loose ties, you end up feeding all of your 10 needs of the 10 strong ties that you issued. Exactly was there. So, right?
1: So I can develop these loose ties and it satisfies my need for relationship. Yeah. But it looks very different than those who have strong ties.
0: Yeah, so, you, you know where I'm sorry. I'm just oh, so excited about this. Yeah. Um, I never understood why, when I would get into romantic relationships, why I could be like, "All right, bye, peace," and then that was it. And then my friends would be like, "No, I need to stay friends with him. We're actually still best friends, even though we broke up." And I would be like,
1: "I what think are that's you so doing? it's so destructive why and are you detrimental." Doing?
0: But do you think that's just us? Because we have this weird way of thinking. I think that's probably us. I think that's
1: probably (laughs) defense mechanisms within us. But I think, and I'm not a, I wish I, you know what? I've been thinking this past week, if I could become like in a past life or a future life, not that I believe in reincarnation, but a a social psychologist or a clinical psychologist.
0: You sound like one. I think I would. (laughs) I think
1: that'd be like the coolest thing ever, but I'm not.
0: They're called coaches now.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: You have opinions about that. I do. I could tell from the first time I said it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You saw how I evaded the question.
0: You know why I love coaches now? Okay, I'm with you. I'm with you. Because I was exposed to therapy from a really young age because of Abdullah. And um, I understand... How much work it takes to see a human mind and to understand the difference between them you know duping themselves ha- being in a really tough situation yeah. and being able to differentiate totally different skill set definitely needs all those years of experience yes. that therapists have, but I feel like coaches today are the new like healers like it came in different forms at different times for different people the writers the poets the artists mm. and Now in this new digital age where we don't get to like really reflect upon ourselves much Mm. in social situations, we're literally reflecting on ourselves of, oh, what do I want to be? And talking to your friend and your friend giving you ideas of what you want to be. We don't do that anymore. Yeah. There you go. Get a coach. Yeah. I think it's,
1: uh, I think it's filling a need for sure. I mean, the fact that there's so many coaches um, I haven't put a lot of thought into this, so.
0: And there were spiritual advisors before, right? Like yeah, and I think spirituality it, it, was more important. Probably
1: more. I mean, it's. Let me finish my other thought and then jump Sorry. to this thought. Sorry. It's okay.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, breaking up. Okay. I think I think a healthy breakup is a clean breakup, which mm-hmm. means like if you're going to break up, break up and do a clean. Don't talk because otherwise you're just drudging your emotions. Over the coals, day in, day out, and that I—it's probably, I'm sure there's scientific data out there to sh- to show and prove that it's so unhealthy, yeah. for you as a human being and your psychology, and your emotional well-being and health.
0: But I do it with coworkers too. I leave a company, I'm like peace, unless they can translate into friendships, like unless we already have a sustainable like. Same. Oh, no, actually, I can think of so many beautiful co-workers. We had such deep relationships over our interests, and I'm just like, I don't see you every day.
1: Yeah, I mean, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, like, that you're never going to talk to them again.
0: No, definitely. But when I see them, no time has passed.
1: Exactly. And that's where I think comes from that, like, and I, I could be wrong, but comes from that, like, moving around and having to adapt that. But I think it would be different... If you were like, oh, I need to maintain these relationships with these coworkers from you know 1997. We're not that old to be having coworkers in 97, but it <laughs> sounded so cool. Cute.
0: 97, I was like, uh, I was ten. Imagine me coming home with a little briefcase. <laughs> Being like, whoa, I had a tough day.
1: Yeah, it's my so dad. Cute. My dad used to work at uh, the Federal Reserve Bank in Chicago, and every day he would wear suit tie suitcase I wanted to be that when I grew up
0: that's so cute
1: yeah yeah but sadly culture has changed a little bit and I mean I could but I think it'd be a little bit out of place
0: mm.
1: but back to life coaches mm. um, I th- it, it I think it's interesting that um, the west and it's the 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 collision of the west and the east in so many ways and so sometimes I don't know I don't I don't feel like I have enough context here in the Middle East to really know what I'm talking about when it mm-hmm. comes to this landscape here mm-hmm. and what's going on and why it's going on. So I think in the West there's been such a a departure there's been such a, a mass departing from religion and um you know as institutionalized or organized Uh, religious structures or spirituality, um, that, as you said, there is now a void of what we'd call discipleship or mentorship Mm. or someone that's a father figure or an older brother or an older sister or a mother figure pouring into your life in a way that's guiding. And in addition, I think that, um, you know, the educational system was set up to Take
0: care of the kids while everybody was working. No. That wasn't the original reason. Well so
1: originally we were we were in one room school rooms. Yes. Where we have a multi-generational room mm. where you have, you know, your tutor teaching everyone and then you know you go and work at the farms. Come the industrial revolution, they said, uh uh-uh, uh, this isn't gonna work. We need workers who are gonna sit for eight hours a day and gonna be compliant, they gonna fill in the right boxes. Check the right boxes, do exactly as we say, good morning, Mr. and Mrs. you know good morning, Mrs. Drazen you know it's the regiment you're sitting for eight hours a day. It was all designed to condition children to go into the workforce in the factories because yeah, that's can what you do that. sit for eight hours a day so i I also wonder if you know. The the educational system isn't providing what it used to provide as far as that more intimate mentorship and having a, a stratosphere of age groups that you're able to look to a big sister or a big brother and say, hey, what's the way forward? Mm. And because of that gap, one from a, a leaving of religion and two of the that lack of
0: exposure, exposure to everything. yeah.
1: That we're left, that there's a generation left with, what am I doing with my life? What am mm. I supposed to be doing? Who am I? Mm. There's a lack of identity.
0: Lack of identity, lack of direction. I can, I can see that, definitely.
1: I haven't thought a lot about that. I don't know if there's data to support that, but that's off the dome.
0: It sounds about right, especially, uh, I guess it's not that there's no identity or no direction. It's just that we can choose it now, right?
1: Right. Mm. The curse of choice.
0: Mm-hmm. Yo, we're, like, dissecting really yeah. cool stuff. I feel very smart well, right and, now. Well, in the,
1: <laughs> the first episode I actually did on this, I interviewed a doctor from Kansas State who um, is a digital ethnographer, uh, anthropologist.
0: That's so cool. It, I can't fast, believe I didn't see that episode. He's,
1: I mean, he did most of the talking. I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> That's and, awesome. But he talks, he talks about... Um, That if history was a book Mm -hmm. that's 250 pages long, the last 150 years is what we kind of know as the last three pages of the book, so much has happened. Mm. And it is only in the last three pages of the book that we've been asking three questions, which is, who am I, what am I going to do, and am I going to make it? Mm. And by and large, then society is asking, who am I, what am I going to do, and am I going to make it? Before, we had those questions answered for us. We know who we were. We're a flan, 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 son of, son of, son of. And, you know, what I'm going to do? Well, my father was a blacksmith. My great, 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 great grandfather was a blacksmith. I'm going to be a blacksmith. And are we going to make it? It's like, oh, well, yeah, we're just going to we're in our little village and the rain will come, hopefully. And that's life. Now we have options.
0: Small disagreement. I think the biggest difference was that we couldn't remember what the rest of the book, what happened in the rest of the book. We could only what remember, like, when you were talking about the last three pages of the book, those were the only, that was the only time that it was documented really carefully in a way that we could keep referring to.
1: If I said that, that's not what I what I meant. Or that's not what he meant. And I'm not paraphrasing uh, him rightly. I think okay. he's, he's showing that, that there's 250 there pages a lot of history. Choice. Okay. And all of a sudden... In the last three pages, these really big life questions are coming off up across the board, um, throughout societies mm. of like you said, we have all these choices of who am I going to become today, and with that comes a subset of anxiety.
0: Mm. Oh yeah, definitely. I know a little bit about anxiety. Just a little. Intimately. I've I've uh, it really helped when when I saw a therapist and she mentioned that maybe it's not so much depression or ADHD. It sounds like maybe these things that help people with anxiety. I loved her approach. She was very much not label oriented. Mm. She was very much like, you have things that could be solved if you read this book. And then she would give me the book quietly. And then I would realize that, oh, okay, it does help me solve things. Um yeah, so a lot of the things that work for anxiety of you know calming oneself and giving oneself direction and reminding oneself that um negative feelings or negative emotions or negative events are just simply a little bit louder because of our the way we evolved. Mm. Yeah. I talk about that a lot.
1: When when did you I think we were kind of getting on this track before we got sidetracked by something. Um, that's
0: that's just uh, it, it,
1: the nature it happens. Yeah, what was happening during those college years? Because I think that's where we left off in the narrative. It was college years that then
0: we're gonna go through my whole life story. That's so interesting.
1: Yeah, we're gonna start. We're we're gonna have to actually start at your birth. Okay. Um, but we'll get. It we'll was, get there on a right I was on a Monday. was on Monday. You know what day you were born?
0: <laughs> my mom talks about it a lot. I don't
1: even know. What, <laughs> I mean, I could go back and find out. I was born on my parents' anniversary.
0: Actually. Oh my god, that's so
1: cute. Yeah, I stole. I stole the show, mom. I love you. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I, think, but I think we were beginning to talk about ang- anxiety and some of the social things that you deal with. And then that transitioned into how you grew up and moved a lot.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, there was social anxiety that I never named as such. We always thought I was just shy. That was mm-hmm. the term used. Social anxiety is so much more known now. Which is great because then you finally put a name to it. It's, yeah, it's just um, a feeling of fear, as opposed to when you say you're shy, it's kind of like a personality, a personality. T- mm, that you can't change. So, um, uh, I w- I was sitting with these things for all my life, and I didn't realize how much I was um, creating coping mechanisms for myself. Mm. And then, can you give
1: it- an example of a coping mechanism that you created for yourself?
0: Forgetfulness was very prevalent with me. Uh,
1: What would, like, how would that happen? Like, how would that manifest? I
0: would forget to turn things in. I'd forget to, either I wouldn't turn things in as a child. My grades were very fluctuating because I wouldn't turn them in because um, I didn't think it was good enough, or Hmm. I'd just forget to turn it in, or I'd forget it at home. You know, forgetting was a very normal part of my life. It still is, it's just now I have really beautifully curated lists and reminders and
1: so you have to be highly structured and organized.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um Do you
1: still have now today, do you still have a fear like even if your your personal branding, your clients, do you have a fear of turning in your assignment, your deliverable to them?
0: Alhamdulillah, 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 alhamdulillah. Not in the same way. Amazing, I'm so, so grateful. It felt like it i I can't say how much it helped me that when I was in the big conglomerate I was talking about, um we they they were rolling out the idea of lean startup, mm-hmm. the book where they book. were talking about iterative design, yeah, and how important iterative design is. and they would encourage you. Turn it in as soon as it is. And if it looks polished, I don't want to see it. Yeah. That was the mentality. Yeah. So that broke me in that way. That's going to set some freedom for you. Yeah. And and that makes it so much more easy anyway, because it turns out that I'm an extrovert, even though I was shy all my life. So I love collaborating with people and co-creating things. Mm.
1: How did you find out you were an extrovert?
0: Uh, I took a test. (laughs) And it turns out, an assessment, and it turns out I took it when I was 19, so I wasn't super social at that time, but it turned out that my coping mechanism with not being able to approach people was to have daydreams about me having conversations with people. Wow. I sound like a crazy person, but you know what? I'm embracing it.
1: That's fascinating. So, so I distracted the conversation again. Apologize. Both of us are doing it. It's okay. Coping (laughs) mechanisms. You're using coping coping mechanisms. One of them was forgetfulness. Another one was instead of having conversations with people, you're having conversations with that person. Or
0: super, super reading a lot. So it wasn't with um, real people. It was definitely... Fiction or writing fan fiction, and by writing, I mean I would think of stories and not write them or post them. <laughs> it would just come in my brain. Um, the 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 phase that we were talking about of me having that one point two eight two five something g a uh, really bad GPA, like the lowest GPA we'll round part one point three. Sure. Yeah, well. Um. Uh, at that time, I was. 19 and a half turning 20 so I wasn't a teenager I didn't really know what what the purpose of my life was thankfully um when when it all accumulated and I just couldn't bear the weight of all these feelings that I was suppressing I reached out um just to the first person that I saw which turned out to be someone that recognized how serious it was. Mm. And from that, it was such a huge um, support effort that I never really recognized until much later mm. where my parents uh, were called in and uh, and there was a school counselor who I spoke to.
1: This is in university, is that correct?
0: Airfoot mm-hmm. University, really cool. Um, and there was just so much support and love, and I was very frustrated because I didn't understand why they were giving me the support when, mm. in fact, we should just like all well, just call it a day and stop putting effort into it. But with time, after you, you talking, make it sound
1: really, it, you make it sound really light in that in that description yeah. of this kind of like I just kind of like had enough of it. But it it wasn't like
0: no, it was earth shattering. Yeah, um, um, it's hard for me. Thankfully, fortunately, it's really hard for me to remember how bad it was. Mm. I get whiffs of it sometimes, but at the moment I'm also on a couple of mood stabilizers. So I think that's affecting, I'm, I remember things by how I felt at the time. So if I'm in a really good mood, I'm more likely to bring to mind the other good times. Mm-hmm. And if I'm in a bad mood, I'll bring up the bad times. So maybe that's also playing a part. So you're in a
1: good mood. Yeah. That's good.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm also here, so I don't <laughs> think it's the medication. But generally, um, it's hard to remember how bad it was. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great. <laughs> that
1: is, <laughs> it helps to have uh, forgetfulness as one of your <laughs> uh, coping mechanisms. Well, I mean, that's what I, I've heard. Uh, that's what ambient does. Mm-hmm. Right. Ambient doesn't help you actually sleep more. Uh Ambient is like a sleep aid, right? Ambient doesn't help you sleep more. I I believe it actually improves sleep by like 18 minutes a night or something like very minor. But what what, what it does do is help you forget that you had a bad night's sleep. So when you wake up in the morning, you're telling yourself a different narrative and a different story. You're telling yourself, I had a good night's sleep. And therefore...
0: You're basing your whole day on it.
1: Your mind functions based off of I had a good night's sleep rather than I had a bad night's sleep. It's what story are you telling yourself? What's yeah. your narrative?
0: Yeah. That's so interesting. Um, so that upward climb was really interesting. And I don't know, to be honest, I really have to dig deep and find out where everything went right or wrong. Mm. We're talking about 2000 and. Eight and then come two thousand and nine. I for the life of me, I don't know what the switch was, but I became president of the environmental club. I started playing around with the idea of Geek Fest. I started um, hanging out with people um, that were really good influences on mm-hmm. me. Um, I met Hakeem uh actually how long have you
1: guys been married
0: four years congratulations thank you congratulations well we've been together for uh, since 2010 wow nine so years nine years yeah it's easy math but <laughs> how did you guys meet um so we knew each other through uh common friends but the real kicker was uh, when I was president of the environmental club, I was looking for speakers for World Water Day. And then it so happens, Hakeem, the backstory is that he he was trying to get closer to me and I just uh-huh. didn't know. But um, the way it goes is it turns out he really cared about algae and he really cared about marine biology. So, okay, come and give a talk. And he's a good talker. So, And then from there, we, we got... To know each other and then by 2010 we um, it's it's different dating in Saudi <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't like a normal boyfriend girlfriend yeah. relationship but we were committed to each other and yeah and that he was also coming out of a dip so I think our relationship was built on building ourselves and building each other so it was very much an upward push mm. And what happened after that? My grades were still terrible, totally terrible, (laughs) regardless of how good my mood was, because finally I was productive enough to do several things. So I was heading up the the environmental club. I was a really powerful public speaker because I guess by that time, all of the stuff I learned about socially... You know, being social or public speaking, it all came to that point where I could speak well. And I think me being native in English helped a lot in that sense as well. So I was building up all of these different facets of myself.
1: Can we back up? Mm. And I know you said you'd have to dig into it and you don't know what the switch is, but... But
0: you've been very good at figuring things out on my behalf. So please, I'm trying.
1: What what was that switch? I mean, like if you think of that narrative, like you know, I, I think of the uh the classical hero's journey. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but all all stories they have the the moment where you are in the the grave or the cave or the pit and that's where you're facing your deepest, darkest adversary, and then you come up from that and you, you know, have the race back home and then you come home with the elixir of life, mm. right? Um, y- You went from this, you know, y- and you speak on it in, in other podcasts, in other episodes that you have on uh, Zibda. And it's really dark. Mm. Um, like, I think I got a little depressed just listening. To it. I was like, wow, well, this is... I mean it's heavy it's yeah. dark and it's it's right in 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 high school I suffered um with depression and suicidal thoughts and mm-hmm. so um I'm acquainted with those emotions maybe not to the same degree as you I I, I don't know but the fact that in if a few a few short years right you went from the depths of darkness of depths where life is not worth living and you're like it's over. And I'm guessing you experienced, it It sounds like self-hatred as well, where you're like, why are you even, it's over for me. Why are you even putting effort in? Is yeah. that correct? Yeah. What, what were some of the, whether people that came around you um, or what changed in such a short period of time? I don't really care about your grades as much, but that you went from this complete paralysis and Lack of ability to turn stuff in, or execute, or get past your own perfectionism to launching a podcast that's, I think, wildly successful, at least in in my eyes and my perception. Launching Geek Fest, becoming a public speaker. I mean, I think what isn't like the the greatest fear that people have is public speaking
0: before death.
1: Before death,
0: I think after spiders.
1: And so, how like (laughs) (laughs) right with someone. With, you know, a confessed paralysis and anxiety um, around so many different areas, what was it that changed that direction?
0: A lot of little moments. While you were while we started talking about this, I was pushing myself into the memories that I have from that time.
1: That is all that we have for this week's episode. But stay tuned for part two where Hera finishes off the story. Here's a little sneak peek.
0: And I don't know what happened, but when I was at the deepest depths of my depression and I was having the most suicidal thoughts, I called.
1: So tune in next week to find out who she called. In between now and then, make sure to look her up on Instagram at Hera B., and at higarabi.com, and subscribe to the Azibda podcast. Also, if you're not subscribed to this podcast, what are you doing? Go right now, click that subscribe button, and I will see you next week here on Own the Future. Remember, if you own your story, you will own the future.